Well, good morning to you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out, please, and go to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 is where we are going to be uh, this morning as we walk our way through the book of Daniel. And uh, man, what a great day of worship this morning. Amen. Just what a great day of worship. Thank you, praise team, worship team, for leading us in worship. And uh, thank you, uh, church, um, for uh, the notes the cards and gifts that you have uh, given to me um, and to uh, our staff here. Thank you so much. Um, we do feel appreciated, and I will tell you it's a joy uh, to serve with you, to serve alongside you um, here at First Baptist Church, Brunswick, where, where God is doing some amazing things. Can I get an amen on that? God's doing some amazing things, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be in Daniel chapter 4 this morning. I'm excited. Let me tell you why. I'm excited because my goal today is to make it through the entire chapter. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, right, and Nick Saban wasn't going to coach last night. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we are going to do our best to make it through Daniel chapter 4, which is an amazing, astounding chapter that, that really what we want to do in, in Daniel chapter 4 is... We want to learn from what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. We don't want to learn this from experience. We want to learn from how this occurred in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And so I've titled today's message, The Testimony of a King. Uh, today we're going to look at, at Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. We are going to hear from him in Daniel chapter 4. This is, this is written by King Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, scholars will say that this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, uh, this is the longest chapter recorded in the Bible that is written by a king, and namely by a pagan king at one point, Amen. Because scholars believe, and I believe this as well, that this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, it was written by a new believer. This chapter was written by somebody who came to know God as the Most High God. And ultimately, at the end of this chapter, uh, we see that, that Nebuchadnezzar will bow his knee to, to God Most High after spending years of not bowing his knee. And so we're going to look at his testimony. I want you to write this down. And it's on the screen. I want you to write this down. Testimonies are one of the most powerful forms of communication. Testimonies, and, and really your testimony of what God has done in your life, is one of the most powerful forms of communication. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we read about the importance of a testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they, believers, overcame him, that's the Antichrist, the beast, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their, everybody say that word, testimony. So our testimony of what God has done in our lives is extremely important. If you and I were to take time um, to read the Bible, and I hope that you're reading the Bible every single day, but if you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you will see that the Bible's full of testimonies. Amen? 
The Bible's full of testimonies. Uh, David, who wrote uh, a great majority of the Psalms, at one point David wrote in Psalm 66, he said, come and see what God has done for me. You look in the New Testament, you look at the woman at the well. When she met Jesus and Jesus told her everything that had gone on in her life, as soon as Jesus told her, she, she ran back to the city and it says in the Bible that many in the community turned to Jesus because of her testimony. So we see testimonies all throughout Scripture. Um, in, in Acts chapter 4, the disciples, um, they tell us after they've been arrested and they're, they're on trial, they say this, we cannot help but to keep speaking about what God has done in our lives. So you see the Bible is full of testimonies. I, I know for me personally, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior through somebody sharing their testimony. You see, testimonies are extremely important when it comes to the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here in chapter 4, we see and we are going to read Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And in this testimony, you are going to see a way that even you can share your testimony. And we're going to pick out some, uh, some, some parts that will help you share your testimony as well as we look at his testimony. Are you ready this morning? All right, well, let's look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Daniel chapter 4 picks up when Nebuchadnezzar is in his 50s. He's probably near the end of his kingship. Uh, this is approximately 20 to 30 years after Daniel chapter 3. And so uh, let me just set this for you. In Daniel in Daniel chapters 1 and chapter 2, um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are teenagers. In Daniel uh, chapter 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are in their 20s or in their 30s. Here here in Daniel chapter 4, uh, Daniel and these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are in their 40s and their 50s. Do we have any 40 and 50-year-olds here this morning? We got two of you. Thank you, Jesus. That is good. That's my generation. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I point that out because of this. The book of Daniel is the story of how each generation can live in the Babylons of this world. Amen? How a teenager does it how a young adult, 20 to 30, does it, and how a 40 and 50-year-old lives in the Babylons of the world. And ultimately, by the end of Daniel, Daniel's going to be in his 70s, uh, in his 80s. Um, any 70, 80-year-olds here this morning? One. Yes, that's good. That's good. We're a multi-generational church is what we are, and so is the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Write this out beside verses 1 and 3. Write this. It's a time to testify. Verses 1 through 3, a time to testify. Let's look at verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. I want you to notice to whom Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. He's speaking to whom? The entire world. He's speaking to the entire nation. He's speaking to the entire peoples of the earth. And so I want you to picture this in your mind. Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, is proclaiming the gospel to the entire world. Now, let's, let's back up and do a little history here to help us understand the importance of what verse 1 is talking about. Originally, in the Old Testament, 
Who were the people, what's the name of the people group that God asked to tell the entire world about who he is? It's the Jews, right? It's the Israelites. God selected them out. He took Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, which is in Babylon area. He called Abram out of that area. He says, I want to make my own people. And I'm going to create a people unto myself who is to proclaim the greatness of me to the entire world. And so the Jews and the Israelites, they had one job, to worship God Almighty and to never bow down to false idols. Well, guess what? They're human, aren't they? They rejected God and they bowed down and they worshiped false idols. And God said this, if you do that, I will send you into exile and you will sit under a king who does not speak your own language. And so guess what? They did not, uh, they continued to reject God. They continued to bow down and worship false idols. And God's promise came true. God's promise came true and he sent the Israelites into exile because they were not telling the nations about who God was and who God is. And then God in all of his infinite wisdom and all of his uh, omnipotence and omniscience, he says, you know what, Israelites, Jewish people, because you are not going to tell others about me, I'm going to use a pagan king to tell the entire world about how good I really am. And so this is what we see. Now, on a side note, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Daniel chapter 2 through Daniel chapter 7 is rather interesting because it is written in, everybody say Aramaic. Thank you for remembering that from two weeks ago. It's written in Aramaic, which was the common language of the day. So God in his infinite wisdom, takes what was bad for the Jewish people, which was bad for the Israelites' people, and he turns it into good, and he says, I'm going to use a pagan king, I'm going to use the language of the common day, and I'm going to make my name known. I just think that's amazing. I think that's absolutely incredible. And here's here's a point of application that I want to make right here in verse number one. If you as a believer do not testify to the greatness of God... God will find somebody else to do it. Amen? Are you with me this morning? If you do not testify to the greatness of God in your life, then he is going to use somebody else. If you remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that last week of his life before he was crucified, he comes into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey and all the people have gathered around him and laying down the palm branches. And you remember what they shouted out to Jesus? They said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then the Pharisees had the audacity to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, tell your disciples you need to rebuke them. Tell them to be silent. You remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus Jesus said, I'll tell you what, Pharisees, I tell you what. If these people cry out, then the rocks, these stones are going to cry out for me. Listen, if you do not cry out for Jesus, somebody else will. But God's asked you. God's asked you to cry out for the goodness of him. Well, Daniel chapter 4, verse 2. You think we're going to make it through 37 verses? Verse 2. This is Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, It has seemed good to me. Another translation says, It brings me great pleasure. So this is known as the Chick-fil-A verse. (laughs) It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. 
Anytime you see the phrase signs and wonders, you need to know right in the margin of your Bible, write this, this is a miracle. We're talking about the miraculous. When we talk about signs and wonders in Scripture, what we are talking about, what Scripture is referencing, is that God is intervening in our world. God did it, and we are in amazement. We are in wonder at what he did. And so in verse number three, Nebuchadnezzar is going to testify to what God did in his life. He's not going to testify to what his gods did. He's not going to testify to what Marduk did. He's not going to testify to what Bel did. He is going to testify to what the God Most High, El Elyon, God Sovereign, what God did in his life. Verse three, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation out beside verse three write this word doxology this is praise this is a doxology this is a praise this is shouting time and what's interesting about chapter four is this it begins with a doxology and then it ends with a doxology which is a great picture of God. Everything begins with God and everything what? It ends with God and all of it revolves around his praise. And Nebuchadnezzar begins with this praise. He is giving glory to the God most high. And it's as if he's saying, I need somebody to listen to me so that I can tell you what God has done. Well, look at verse number four. But here's the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does when he gives his testimony. It's the first thing that you and I can do when we give our testimony. And we tell people what our life was like before we met Christ. Anybody here this morning have a life before you met Christ? Absolutely you do. And so does Nebuchadnezzar watch this. This is his pre-conversion. Pre-conversion, his life before Christ, if you will. Well, look at this because here we see what Nebuchadnezzar's issue was. Look at verse number four. I, and Nebuchadnezzar, I was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Well, that Hebrew phrase for ease in my house and flourishing, it does not mean that I kicked my feet back and I was relaxing. What it means is this. I am enjoying the work of my hand. You get it? Look at your neighbor and I get it. I'm enjoying the work of my hand. And so what we see very quickly is this, is that Nebuchadnezzar had a major ego problem. He had a pride problem. Just remember, in the chapter before, he built a 90-foot statue of himself. I'd call that an ego problem, right? You know, many people may have a problem with anger their entire lives. Some people have a problem rooting for the Crimson Tide all their lives. Oh, we got a roll time. But Nebuchadnezzar has a problem with pride. He's got a pride problem. He's got a me problem. He's got an I problem. Jump over to Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Look at verse number 30. Look at this, and look at all the personal pronouns here that, that Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Watch this. And the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, he reflected and he said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built? Uh-oh. Which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Wow. 
This guy's really humble, isn't he? I heard a story of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, he was riding on a, flying on a plane, and at takeoff, he did not put his seat on, or his seatbelt on, and, or a seat, that would be really good, yeah, that's right. Didn't put a seatbelt on, and the stewardess came by and said, sir, please put your seatbelt on. And Ali said, well, ma'am, I'm the greatest. I'm Superman, and Superman does not wear a seatbelt. And the stewardess said, well, if you're a Superman, you wouldn't need a plane either. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good. That's pride. That's pride. It's arrogance. Napoleon Bonaparte. Do a little history lesson. Napoleon Bonaparte, the great French uh, leader, a great military leader, he was asked this question. Whose side is God on? Napoleon said this. He's on the side of the one who has the biggest cannons. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's an ego problem. I'll give you another example from history. You're going to love this one. There was a French king who was once so full of himself that he would clip his toenails and crust them with diamonds and send them to all of his mistresses in the country. Ladies, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? It's called pride. It's called arrogance. Now I want you to listen. The Bible is clear about its stance on pride. Amen? The Bible is clear. The Bible condemns a haughty Spirit, a, a, a spirit that it's all about me. The spirit where, 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 just look at what I have done. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5 says this. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. The Lord detests that. And then he says, let's be sure of this, that they who are prideful will not go unpunished. Well, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I'm at my palace I'm resting and flourishing and I'm enjoying everything that I have built. Look what I have done in my life. And when he has that attitude, God says, just you wait. Well, let's look at this. Look what God does to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. You see, your life, what your life was like before Christ, then God does something that makes you realize you need Jesus Christ. This is the realization. Write down this word. Write down the word comprehension. Verse 5. Verse 5. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, that I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind, they kept alarming me. Now, is this the first time God has spoken to Daniel in a dream? No, absolutely not. He spoke to him in Daniel chapter 2 when, when he saw this vision and, and this image of the statue of the different metals. And, and in Daniel chapter 2, uh, when Daniel interpreted the dream through, uh, God interpreted the dream through Daniel, it revealed God's plan for the ages. It revealed what God was going to do in the future that you and I are a part of. But here in Daniel chapter 4, this is a very personal dream. 
This has ramifications for Nebuchadnezzar himself. And this is God's pronouncement upon King Nebuchadnezzar who will not bow his knee to, to God Almighty. He will not bow. And God says, I am going to pronounce judgment upon you. Now, I want you to hear this as well. I believe that this dream and this interpretation, I believe it is also a pronouncement upon a nation and a government that will not bow its knee to God most high. I believe this is for individuals. I believe this is for families. I believe this is for, 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 for businesses. I believe it's for nations. I believe it is for governments as well. That if you will not bow your knee God says, I am going to intervene in your life. Well, jump down to verse number 10. 10 through 17 is the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is going to give us the dream. Uh, verses 18 through 27, Daniel is going to interpret the dream. And so that we can finish chapter 4 this morning, amen, we're going to combine these. Look at verse number 10. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed. I was looking and behold... There was a tree, circle that, underline that word tree. Uh, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large, it became strong, and its height reached to the sky. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. This is a huge tree. Verse 12, its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I want you to stop there for just a second. I want to make it a little bit more of an application here, um, interpreting Scripture and make it apply to our lives today. In Scripture, whenever the Bible talks about governments and kingdoms or nations, a majority of the time it will use two symbols to describe the nation or the kingdom. And the first symbol is that of a tree. And a tree is the representation of a good government, of a good kingdom, of a good individual. Remember Psalm chapter 1? Like a tree planted by streams of living water? Well, this is a good thing. And so when the Bible talks about governments and kingdoms and it, and it, and it says a tree is a, a symbol for it, it means that this is a good tree. And, and what does Scripture say is a good tree? That this is what the government should be like. The government should be like a huge tree that offers protection for those who sit underneath the tree. That's what the government does. A good tree. The leaves are green. It's a huge tree. It's a tall tree. A government offers protection it offers shelter, and it offers comfort for all the creatures underneath the tree. A good government, a good godly government who is a tree allows godly people to serve God in freedom and in liberty. A good government, a, a government that's represented by a tree is meant to terrify evil men. A government, it, it wields the arm of judgment. Read the book of Romans. A good government punishes those who do wicked. You break the law, then the government has been given the godly right to execute justice. And the government is supposed to protect those within 
the covering of the tree. It means this. It means that a good government protects its borders. It protects, it protects us from, from evil people getting in, and it protects us from evil people on the inside. That's what the government does, and that's what's represented by a tree. Now, there's a second image that the Bible will talk about that represents a bad government, and that is a beast. A beast. Later on in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and on, we are going to see that from the statue in Daniel chapter 2, we are going to see that those nations are called what? Beasts. You go to the end of the book in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, you will see that the nations, the governments that are not godly or God-fearing, they are called the beasts. The Antichrist, who is the ruler of the nations in the end times, he's called a beast. Well, what makes a nation, what makes a what things do a nation do to make it be categorized as a beast? Here's three things real quickly. This all comes from Revelation chapter 13. Here's three things that a nation will do, a government will do, that ultimately you will be called a beast according to Scripture. Number one, you reject God. You reject God, God Most High, El Elyon. You reject, listen, you reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You with me? You government, you nations, you people, you reject God, then you will be called a beast. Revelation chapter 13 verse 6 says this, And he, the beast, opened his mouth and blasphemes against God. You see it? Now look at the next part. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. Question, who's his tabernacle? Look at your neighbor and say, it's the church. It's us, the believers in Jesus Christ. And so for you as a nation to be categorized as a beast, you reject God and you make blasphemes against his people. Here's number two. The beast, a nation, a government, it is called a beast. Here's what you do. You rule every aspect of our lives. It's state and church combined. Revelation chapter 13, I want to encourage you to read it today. Revelation chapter 13, the word authority is used six different times, and it always references in Revelation chapter 13 that the beast has authority over everything. And the beast, listen, listen, and the beast demands worship. Listen, whenever a government demands worship, we have crossed the line. Anybody with me this morning? Anybody with me? Anybody ready to vote yet? I mean, this is some serious stuff. This is serious stuff that we need to know. And that we need to pass this down and we need to tell people about this. A nation, a government, a kingdom will be called a beast symbolically. When you reject God, you will not bow down to God most high, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, Islam is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Ishmael. It's different. Completely different. And here's the third thing a nation does they can be categorized as a beast. Number three, they wage war against the saints of God. 
They waged war against the saints of God. Revelation 13, 7. It was also given to him, the beast, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them well. Do we see any of this happening today in the United States of America? Do we see this today? So can we say that, oh, you know, pastor, the scripture teaching the Bible, it's not relevant today. I guarantee you the people who say it's not relevant today is they're not reading God's word and they're not studying God's word. They're not studying it. We need to know the day and the times of what's going on because it's happening in our midst. Well, that was free for you, okay? We have plenty of time to make it through 27 more verses. Question. What do you think happens to a nation, a government, or a people who continue to walk in arrogance and pride and they do not bow the knee to God Almighty? What do you think is going to happen? Same thing that happens to Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to get chopped down. You're going to get chopped down. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, Nebuchadnezzar continues on. He says, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. And behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended down from heaven. And he shouted and spoke as follows. Now, when this angel speaks, it's speaking on behalf of God. God is making a decree. And when God makes a decree, guess what? It ain't changing. Are you with me? He shouted and he said, chop down that tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it. Now, here when we say the word beast, we're not referencing kingdoms and nations at this point. This is just talking about the rabbits and so forth that's underneath the tree, okay? Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave that stump with its roots in the ground. You can call this grace. This is grace. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and broads around it in, a, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth, and let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Over, over him. Right out of your margin, seven years. Seven years. Nebuchadnezzar, you have for 50 plus years, you have not bowed your knee, and I've given you every single chance. I've given you signs and wonders, and you still have yet to bow down to me. And he says, now I'm going to tell you something. I'm giving you seven years. Verse 17, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones. Now look at the reason why this is good. Look at the reason why. In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and he sets it over the lowliest of men. The reason God is doing this is because he wants his name to be made known. Wow. Well, verses 19 through 27, Daniel hears the king's dream. And when Daniel hears the dream, he knows exactly what it means. And in verse number 19, look at verse number 19. Daniel, um, he, he, he hears the dream and he is appalled. He's scared to speak the truth to the king. Now, do you understand Daniel's predicament at this moment? 
I mean, if the president came in here and you had a word from the Lord to give to him and it was against him, would you be a little afraid as well? Some of you are liars. No, I'd tell him like it is. I'll tell him. I'll tell the king. I'll tell the president. Well, Daniel is scared because Daniel knows the interpretation of this dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, come on, man. Don't be afraid. Tell me. Tell me the interpretation. And so it is a tense moment. And look at verse number 22. Look at verse number 22. And look at those first couple words. And this is what Daniel says. O king, this is you. Wow. 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 And Daniel, in boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak the truth of God into a pagan king. Daniel has no regard for his life here. Come on, y'all. He has no regard for his life. He must tell the truth. Are you with me? Students, are you with me? Are you listening, students? He has no regard for it. He must tell the truth. He must tell a pagan king who has the authority to destroy him in one word. He has the authority and the power to do that. But Daniel, in his, in his honesty and in his personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Father, he knows Scripture, he knows the truth, he knows that God is speaking through him. He says, you know, I have to tell the truth no matter what happens to me. I've got to do that. I have to testify to the greatness of God. And so he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I just have to let you know, you are that tree. You are that tree. And Nebuchadnezzar, you just need to know, God has given you multiple chances. Did you not see the men come out of the fire? Did you not see that, Nebuchadnezzar? God has given you signs. God has given you wonders. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, you have yet to bow your knee. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. Because you have not bowed your knee, God is going to remove you. He's going to remove you as the king of the greatest empire in all the world for a season of time. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm just going to let you know what the rest of this, what God's saying. He says, not only will he remove you from the king, from, from being king, He's also going to do this to you. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go insane. As a matter of fact, you're going to end up looking like a cow. Your hair is going to be matted because nobody's going to take care of you. Your fingernails are never going to be uh, 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 clipped and trimmed because they're going to become like claws. And nobody's going to be around you. And you're going to live like an animal. You're going to have the dew of the morning all over you. O King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. But here's the great thing, and I think this is great application for us when we give our testimony. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to share the bad news. I got one all right on that one. When we share the gospel, we have to share the bad news. That if you don't bow... God's going to reject you. Are you with me? That if you do not bow the knee, there is a coming judgment upon you. And that when Jesus Christ returns, he splits the sky, it's too late. And it's too late and you will spend eternity 
in a literal place called hell that has literal flames, that has literal fire. The scripture says that, that there will be no satisfaction there, that you will be eternally separated from the greatest king who has ever lived and who will ever live. You'll be eternally separated from him. That's the bad news. We have to share the bad news. I don't like to share bad news. I don't like that, but we have to. And then Daniel does something that we have to do as well when we share our testimonies. Then we share the good news, right? Then we share the good news because just after he shares the bad news and then Daniel gives him the good news, he gives him the good news. He says later on, um, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, if you, do the, if you don't bow down, this, all this is going to happen, but I promise you, Nebuchadnezzar, if you would just repent, if you will turn from your wicked ways and you bow your knee, God will relent. That's good news. That's good news. I think this is probably the most powerful gospel presentation in the world. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Look at your neighbor and say, absolutely nothing. Just like the Georgia Bulldogs in the second half of last night's game. <laughs> My goodness. The Braves. The Bulldogs. King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Verse 29, 12 months later. You know what I ask myself when I read that? What was he doing? Right? What was he doing? Well, your, he's, your kingdom was going to be taken away. Just repent. Ah, I don't believe God. I don't think it's going to happen. For 12 months, for one year, he does nothing. He procrastinates. He's probably denying really what he heard. By the way, have you ever heard God speak to you and you deny that that's what God was saying to you? Before we can get on to Nebuchadnezzar, we have to look at our own selves. Man, you know what, goodness gracious, I've heard God speak before and I did not want to do what he told me to do. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar, nothing, nothing changed in his life. And you look back at verse number 30. Go back to verse number 30. I don't know if this is on the screen or not, but look on verse number 30. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great which I have built by my power and for my glory and for my majesty? Look at verse 31 in your copy of God's word. And while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, it's time. It's time. It's time. And immediately, verse number 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. Well. Now look at verse number 34. Because from, from verse 5 all the way to really verse 33, this is Nebuchadnezzar's 
he's realizing that he needs something. Are you with me? And people in your testimony, and people who need to hear your testimony, they have, a, they have their life before Christ, but now they come to a, to a moment that they realize that they need something. Something happened. And they've come to the realization, I need somebody to rescue me. This is it. Now, what do you do next? You do what Nebuchadnezzar does. Look at verse number 34 and write this word down. Write the word commit. Commit. Nebuchadnezzar now is going to commit to God Almighty. Look at verse number 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven. It only took him seven years, but he finally got there. Amen? He finally raised his eyes towards heaven. Literally in the Hebrew means he, he turned his face upward. For the first time in his life, he lifts his eyes upward to El Elyon, the God Most High, the God Sovereign. Now let me ask you this question this morning. Have you lifted your eye to El Elyon? Have you lifted your eye to the God Most High? Have you done that? And I know, again, I talked to many of you this morning. I've talked to many of you this week and, and over the past several weeks that, that many people are going through fires right now. Some of it is just happening because that's just kind of how nature happens. And some of us are in fires because, well, uh, we started the fire. You know what I'm talking about? And some of us may be in trouble. We may be in a heap of trouble. And, and, and we find ourselves looking to other things to solve our problem. A great majority of our country is looking to the government to solve our problem. Did I mingle right there? And many of us are looking for other people, other, other institutions, other organizations to solve our problem. But that's not the solution. Nebuchadnezzar gives us the example of what we need to do. We need to look up to God. We need to lift our eyes to God. God's sovereign. He's the one who solves all of our problems. Does that mean I'm going to be rescued from the fire? Maybe. Maybe not. But he's still God. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said this, but even if he does not, O King Nebuchadnezzar, I will never bow down to you or to the statue that you built. That's where we need to be. So this morning, have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? And then notice the second thing that we're going to be done because I want to keep my promise to you that we'll make it all the way through chapter 4. Is this, after he looked up to God, he worshipped. He worshipped. He praised. He blessed God. Look at verse 34. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Wow. This is the testimony of a changed man. And if God can change Nebuchadnezzar, he can change anybody. And verses 35 through 37 is a doxology where, where Nebuchadnezzar gives his praise to God Almighty and says that the ways of God are true. Wow. Now, as we close this morning, let me ask you this question. Has God done anything for you? Has God done anything for you? Has, have you experienced God's mercies like Nebuchadnezzar has? Have you experienced the goodness and the kindness of God? 
If so, and I think most of you in this room have, then if you have, let me ask you this next question. Then who are you telling? Who are you telling? Who are you telling about what God has done in your life? Nebuchadnezzar says, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, to all the nations, to every language in all the earth. Who are you telling? Who are you telling about the goodness of God? I just want to let you know that I, I, have, a, I have a dream, a prayer, that this place, this church, this body, that we would be a, pap- a people that takes the gospel message to the ends of the earth. That's my prayer, that you, where you are in your seat, that you get out of that comfortable spot and we go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. It has been my prayer that this church, that we would step foot on every single continent in this world to tell them about Jesus. I mean, the penguins in Antarctica need Jesus. Let's be that people. Can we not be that people? Can we not be that people that goes to tell everybody about Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's done for me, what he's done for the entire world? We share the good news, but then we share the, uh, share the bad news, but then we share the good news. And then we just ask people to bow their knee to King Jesus. Wow. Because I know this, that if we don't do it, somebody else will. If we don't do it, as Jesus said, the rocks will cry out. By the way, I don't like the way rocks cry. I prefer our voice. I prefer your voice. I prefer your testimony of what God's done for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you that we can come here this morning to worship and praise El Elyon, the God most high, God sovereign. And God, right now we want to say to you, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us. Delivering us from pride, from ego, or or what other sin besets us. Thank you for delivering us. Now, Father, I pray that in this room this morning, those who are watching on our website, social media. Father, I pray that you would instill within us the boldness and the courage to tell the world what you have done. That you have come to set us free. Wow. May we do that wherever we go and whatever we do. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. There may be somebody here this morning, maybe you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, hear the words Today is the day of salvation. Today, will you not bow your knee to King Jesus? Pastor, how do I do that? It's very simple. Here's what you do. You you confess your sin to Jesus. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I know, God, that if I die in my sin, I'm, 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 I'm away from you for all eternity. God, forgive me of my sin. And just tell him that. And then say, King Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Come be Lord of my life and, 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 and lead me into the way of salvation. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I pray that's you today. 
If you need to make that decision public or have questions, I'll be here at the front. Come talk to me. But don't leave today. Don't leave today without answering what are you going to do about Jesus. Father, have your way with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.